Yeah, beautiful snowy day out there, right? You know, white Christmas. Is everybody all prepared for Christmas? You got it all figured out? All the presents are bought. All the lights are up. Um, I hear one proud guy over there. Yup, yup. Um, I, I need your help. We're gonna start off a little different this morning because I'm a big Christmas guy. I love Christmas. Um, you know, I, 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 I start thinking about Christmas in July. Uh, you know, I'm just waiting for this holiday. I love Christmas. I love the traditions of Christmas. Um, I love all the things that come with it. But, you know, as, as someone who's a pastor here and, you know, I'm part of this church family, I'm still kind of new here, I guess. And I just want to know what kind of church I'm a part of uh, when it comes to tradition. So uh, we're going to have some fun. And I just want to hear what you guys do. So I'm going to say a couple controversial traditions uh, that are around the Christmas season. And you're going to raise your hand for which one your family or you do. All right. Does that make sense? Does everybody make sense? Okay, so here's the first controversial one. When it comes to Christmas lights, uh, just all white lights, raise your hand, all white lights. Or what about colorful lights, colorful lights? Okay, we got a church that likes to party a little bit, uh, a little color. Um, what about this, Christmas Eve dinner? Uh, what, anybody, turkey, anybody have turkey on Christmas Eve? No, it's just Thanksgiving. What about ham? Ham, okay. What about fried chicken, anybody have fried chicken? Just me? All right. Um, now, here's the one that's really important to me, because uh, I thought everybody did it this way, and then when I became an adult, I realized not a lot of people do. When you open presents, do you open presents on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? Okay, there's a couple of us out there. All the kids said Christmas Eve. All the young people like Christmas Eve, as soon as possible. Uh, the reason why I say this is as we're diving into Isaiah today, the piece of scripture that Karen read, uh, we're in the series, The Promise. And traditions are so important for us. We, 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 we base a lot of our life around traditions and it becomes a part of us, almost a part of our DNA. And my hope is, is that we dive into this passage today, we would leave it with adding a new tradition. Um, to our holiday season, adding a new tradition to our life or maybe continuing one that we already do. And the, the, the passage in Isaiah 42 and the concept of this whole series is to look into the Old Testament, look in, into the Old Testament, the, the front half of your Bible, and look for Jesus in it. Look for the Messiah in the Old Testament and look for stories of Jesus and look for um, what Jesus was going to do and what Isaiah 42 talks about is, is the Messiah to come, this Messiah that was going to save them. And, and at this time, they wouldn't have thought, they wouldn't have known who Jesus was. We, as New Testament believers, or in the time we live in, as a Christian, we recognize that when it says Messiah or chosen one, we, we know that the speaking of Jesus. And the concept we're gonna dive into when it comes to this today is saying, what does this mean? What is Jesus going to do? And what does it mean for us? So it starts off in the first line, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. Look at my servant. Look at my servant. I, I mean, this part of the scripture just sticks out to me heavily. God is speaking through Isaiah in this prophecy and it's speaking of the Messiah, Jesus to come, and it's referring to Jesus, God, as a servant. The Messiah, the servant whom God strengthens. If Jesus, God, and the Messiah, Emmanuel, Jesus comes as a servant, how much different should our life look when it comes to service to others? 
If Jesus is this servant Messiah that is God is sending to, to save people, and he has every right to, to, to rule from heaven and, and look down at us, and he comes as a servant, how much should our lifestyle and how we serve and treat people change? Another line that sticks out to me is in Isaiah is, whom I strengthen. God, speaking of Jesus, the servant Messiah to come, who he strengthens. I think there's one thing in our culture we pride ourselves on strength. I'm strong enough. I can stand up. I can do this. I'm strong. Guys, I, I hate to break it to you. Jesus needed strengthening. Jesus needs strengthening, whom God strengthened. If Jesus needs strengthening, we need to be okay in being in a season where we say, well, if the Messiah was strengthened, I need to allow myself to be strengthened and not rely on my own strength. Amen? And it refers to Jesus as this servant. We see this both in Matthew and in Mark. And sometimes when we think of Jesus, the servant, we, we definitely think of things like the cross. Right? The cross is a, a, an amazing uh, visual of service, actually laying down of his life. But if we're honest, sometimes we, we, we act and we live like it ends there. That Jesus' service to humanity ended there. And when we look at our life today, really Jesus is still serving. He serves us through our guidance. The fact that Jesus guides us through life, that the Holy Spirit guides us on a daily basis that he cares about us. He cares about us. Does this blow anybody else's mind that Jesus, God, creator, magnitude, hugeness, cares about you and me? Like, isn't that just, like, what a servant heart to the perfect created being is saying, you know, I love and I care about not just the mass of people, but the individual. I care for them. Jesus' servant was that. And it goes on to read this. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. Pleases me. Other translations will say, whom my soul delights. That Jesus, the Messiah, brings, pleases God. And it says he will bring justice to the nations. Justice to the nations. Other translations will say freedom to the nations. Um, other translations will say nations. It will say the word Gentile there. He will bring justice to the Gentile. And let me just paint why this is important. In this Old Testament time, there's two groups of people. There's the Israelites, the Jewish people of the time, and then there's everyone else called Gentiles. There was a specific race, the Jewish people, and they were this one area, and then everyone else was Gentiles. And what this, what's so radical about this passage is everything before had been specifically aimed towards that one specific race of people. And now Isaiah is talking about this Messiah that will come, lay down his life, sacrifice himself, and he will bring salvation, he'll bring freedom, he'll bring justice to all nations. Both the Jew and the Gentile will receive this from him. And it's, it's important to us when he says justice, or freedom, I wanna focus on the word freedom for a sec. Because in our context of freedom, here's how we often think of freedom. In the Christian context, I, I come to church, I say a prayer, Jesus comes into my life, becomes the ruler of my life, and my eternity is changed, and I'm free from the chains of sin and death. 
That's an amazing truth, is it not? And, and, and that's beautiful, yes. But th- th- there's other things that come with freedom. There's other parts of life. There, there's things in our life, even for some of us, the believers in the room this morning, who, there's things in your life that you are still chained to that you weren't designed to be chained to. There's still things in your life. You have said the prayer, you're doing the right things, but there's still some things in your life where you need Jesus to come in and to bring freedom into that situation. And here's what, as I was preparing this, I started to think of this because sometimes in our life, there's things that we're chained to that we don't even realize anymore. It's just been in our life for so long. It's just a normal part of life now. Maybe it's that sin issue, it's just always been that way. Maybe it's that way of thinking, well, it's always just been that way. And we don't even realize that the chain is still holding us back. And I thought about this. Have you ever seen an elephant at the circus? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand because you might get in trouble. Um, I mean, when you, you see the pictures of these elephants at the circus, you'll see these giant creatures tied with a little chain, no bigger than the chain on, on my tires, and a two-foot-tall stump. And this huge creature... At any moment, you look at how the, the elephant's chained up. At any moment, you'll be able to pull away from the chain. Break the stump, pull the chain, break the chain, because snap it at any moment. But for some reason, this giant creature is chained and locked in by this little bitty chain. So I asked myself, why is that? And as I looked into it, I found out why. When these, the, the baby elephants are brought to these circuses, or they're brought to these moments and chained to these poles at a very small size, at that size of their body, they can't break the pole and chain. And it will try and try and try, but it won't break. And so eventually, here's the key part, eventually the elephant reaches a place in life before it goes to the size of a full-grown elephant where it says, okay, this chain is unbreakable. This chain's unbreakable. I've tried, I'm hurting my foot now, I pulled, I pulled, that stump's not coming out. This chain's unbreakable. So it stops trying to break it. And then it finds itself as this giant elephant that could easily break the chain, believing the lie that the chain is unbreakable. Our, our lives, we do the same thing. We, we, we step into relationship with Jesus. We try to turn over our life, and we try, and we try, and we try, and it doesn't break, but we're still infants in the faith, and we haven't, we haven't been going for long, and then we just, just believe the lie. We believe that the chain is just too strong. We believe that the, the, the pole was just too big, so we stop trying. I want all of us this week to ask ourselves, is there an area in my life that I've just believed because it's been a long time? Am I still chained to something that Jesus wants to break me free from? And look into that. Look into that because it says freedom, freedom. As a Christ follower, we are not designed to be chained to anything except Jesus Christ. That's what freedom is. And it goes on to read, um, you know, I know, I know, I gotta get through this, I have a lot I have to preach through right now, but um, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. Let me pause there for a sec. He will not shout or raise his voice in public, just for the parents in the room. Um, this is God speaking through Isaiah to, uh, about Jesus, the Messiah. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. I say all my kids all the time, hey, Jesus didn't shout or raise his voice, so you can't either. You know, so, you know, in, in public, you know, so that's just a joke. Don't really do that. Um, 
He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wrong. There's that word justice or freedom again. You see that it refers to the gentleness of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. He won't shout or raise his voice. He'll be quiet. He will not crush the weakest rock. He won't, he won't take advantage of the weak to build his own platform. You're seeing the gentleness of Jesus. And remember, you gotta remember in this time, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, when they thought about this Messiah to come, this one that was gonna rescue them, they had a picture in their head of what that Messiah would look like. It would be a conqueror, strong, loud. It would break down the walls of the cities and, and take back homes and this conquering king-like ruler. But what it says in Isaiah is that the Messiah won't come like that. And if you read the Gospels in the New Testament, the words of Jesus, you realize often there was frustration with the, the Jewish people and Jesus because he wasn't meeting their expectations on what the Messiah should have been. But if you really understand the prophecies of him, you realize he was exactly that. He comes to bring justice, and then it goes on to read, he will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. He will not falter or lose heart. He, he will not become discouraged. I did this in my Bible when I, when, I, when I read this verse. I wrote in big letters at this place on the side, he won't lose. That's what this passage is saying here. He won't falter or lose heart until justice prevails. The Messiah, Jesus, won't lose because we know that Jesus faces many trials while he's on earth, many persecutions, all the way up to death and beating and being stabbed and all of that. And there's probably times where people thought they had won, they thought they had stopped him, but just like Isaiah said it would happen, he won't become discouraged, he won't quit until justice or freedom has been accomplished through a sacrifice. He talks here in this passage about distant lands. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. When I see that word distant lands, I think to myself, we have to remember as Christians that Jesus is for all. Jesus is for every country, every place on this little blue rock we live on, all humanity. Jesus is not just for America. He's not just for Reno. He's not just for Nevada. He's to the ends of the earth, amen? That's what Isaiah is speaking about. And then it goes on to read here, it says, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out he created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks on earth. Just Isaiah painting the picture of who God is. First it's talking about what the Messiah will do, what he will bring, and then it's saying this is the God who is sending him. And why is it saying that? What, it, what he's really saying here is that God can be trusted. God created God did everything. He's this big, huge, mighty God. He can be trusted here. Can you guys all help me with an exercise? Can you guys do that? I promise it won't work out too long. But if you're able, could you stand to your feet? If you're able, stand to your feet. I want you guys to do something with me. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. 
And imagine you're outside. Pick whatever environment you want. If you want to be in Hawaii, be in Hawaii. If you want to be in the snowy mountains here, be in the snowy mountains here. But just start to picture it. Start to picture what's around. What are the sounds like? What are the smells like? What are you seeing? Now, everybody, keep your eyes closed and keep that visual in your head. Look down in your pic- your, what you're thinking. Through. Look down. Begin to notice the ground. And realize to yourself, God created that. The ground that you're standing on was created by God. Maybe the mountains you're seeing, maybe the hills that you're seeing, but the magnitude of the ground you are standing on was created by God the creator. Now look up. Start to notice the birds or the skies and go a little further. See the sun or the moon and the stars. Realize that God created that. He hung those stars in place and he, he told the moon when to spin and how to spin and he told the sun when to shine, when to rise and when to go down. This magnificent God created all of that. And when you get past those blue skies, get to the solar system and start to see the other planets and stars and realize how big God is. Now everybody open your eyes. Now, this is the best part. Now look to your left or right. See another human. Realize God created that. God created that, the most precious creation. Think about how unique we are, how how beautifully crafted we are. And so the reason why I do this is I want you to realize if you look down, look up, look to the side, you see that we serve a God who's bigger than anything we can even imagine. And he can be trusted. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Go ahead, grab a seat, grab a seat. It's saying that he can be trusted with this plan for this Messiah to come. So what do we trust him in? What should we trust him in? I wrote down just a couple of things. Number one, we trust the plan. When we read scripture from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, we, we put our trust in the plan of salvation. We put our trust in trusting God that his plan is perfect. We also put our trust in the servant, the Messiah as he's described in the first line of Isaiah 42, this servant Messiah. We put our trust in this servant. In in the modern day church, we would say this would be giving our life to him, surrendering our life to Jesus, putting our trust in him. But I wanna dive a little deeper because when I think of this, trusting Jesus isn't so much about a moment or a prayer. It's, it's so much more. Trusting Jesus is really saying that Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' blood was enough to cover the multitude of sins. All sins. Not just some. And, and the trust I'm talking about here is the trust for you personally. Those things that, you, the baggage you carry around, the things that you've done, the mistakes that you've made that seem too monumental, trusting that Jesus was enough. That you're not that. That you're forgiven for that. And the last thing, we trust our future. We trust our future to this almighty creator, this Jesus, this Messiah. We say, Jesus, we know when it comes to trusting our future, it, it, it's the eternity piece. We trust that when, when we die and we leave our earthly bodies, we'll spend eternity with heaven and with him, but also the trust factor of trusting him with my next minute, my, my next day, my, my next week, trusting God with my future. It then goes on to read this. 
And if he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness, I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. And it is he who says, I, the Lord. Something really sticks out to me this passage in Isaiah. Remember that this book in Isaiah is written around 700 years before Jesus' time on earth. Jesus would have had access to these writings, read these words. I can't say for 100% that he did, but they would have had access to them. And when you read this, if you read it through the lens of God speaking through a prophet to the people, and think about the fact that when Jesus came, he could have read these words. I want to read it again and really see how you might see it a little differently. That this is, I, the Lord, have called to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. This is God speaking to Jesus, the Messiah. This is what you're going to do. This is why you've came. I will be there with you. I will guide you. And it talks about a symbol of my covenant. We talked about that a couple weeks ago in the new covenant and old covenant, what that means, that Jesus becomes the opening of this new covenant relationship for us. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You'll be a light to guide the nations. That's what Jesus is. It's what the Messiah came to do was to be a light in a dark and broken world. That's what Jesus did, to bring light into darkness. If you know anything about light and dark, wherever light is, darkness has to flee. Darkness cannot exist where light is. Jesus comes to be this amazing light that will guide the nations. Guide the nations. It's important for us as believers to remember that we're called to follow the light, not the darkness. We're called to follow this amazing light found in Jesus. And in the Christmas season, the whole Christmas stories, I know it's crazy, we're just a couple weeks away from Christmas. How crazy is that? Like a week and a half, I think. I love the Christmas season. Like I said about traditions, I love all of that. But there's one tradition I think we need to get a little better at. When I read Isaiah 42, and I read of the servant Messiah, and I read of Jesus, and I know the gospel, and I know what he did, and I know the reason we celebrate Christmas is the birth of this Messiah, Jesus. After I read this passage, something happens in me. Something happens in me when I read this in other passages. There comes in me an urgency to share an urgency to share this message with people, to, to get the word out of this Messiah and what Jesus has done. It, and it just kind of becomes overwhelming for me. And I, I, my hope and prayer is that us as a congregation would start to make a tradition in our families of not just having a Christmas season that's built around trees and presents, and please don't get mad at me, I'm not saying these are bad, and great family dinners, but we would make our 
focus of the Christmas season, the people who have not yet met this Messiah Jesus, and we begin to invite them into the family, and that's what our Christmas would be about, would be just a great spirit of invitation into the family of Jesus, introducing them to a Messiah, and then everything else is just the fun parts. It's just everything that we add in, but the focus would be this invitation. So I want to just talk for a little bit on what kind of people are we called to invite into this family, into relationship with Jesus? What kind of people are we called to invite? I wrote down just three groups here. We invite those who are close, those family members, the, the, the teachers, the, the people who we see on a daily basis. Sometimes I think we can forget to include them into this invitation because it's, we become very comfortable with them. We invite those who are close. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, what, uh, what do you mean invite? Invite them, but we have such a good thing going on. What if they get mad? What if they don't like that? I can tell you from my experience, I think that's a lie from the enemy that a lot of people believe, is that an invitation to meet Jesus would make someone mad. I haven't encountered that very often. I haven't encountered that very often. They're not gonna get mad. And if they do, you, we can just talk next week and you'd be mad at me. We're called to invite those that are close. Secondly, we're called to invite those who are far. The distant people in our life, maybe they live on the other side of the country. Maybe they're just an acquaintance I know, but God has put them in my life to think through. Maybe there's somewhere that when we move from and I just, I'm thinking of them and I wanna invite them. What are you inviting them to? A great place to start is inviting people to Christmas Eve services. Now, I know what you're saying. It's like, oh, is this a push for invitation for Christmas Eve services? Yes, 100%. And you're like, oh no, here we go. Shane, yo, we gotta fill, we gotta fill the seats. We got all this stuff. I have no shame in that. I don't. People ask me all the time, Shane, do you want a big church? Yeah, I do. I want every seat filled with someone who doesn't know Jesus yet and their eternities are changed and their lives are changed. I, I just don't feel guilty about saying that. Inviting those who are near and those who are far. And actually, can we throw this up real quick? We have a QR code. We made it super easy for you. You take a picture of that, you could send it out today to as many people as you want to invite them to that. There's an invitation that you can send out. You can take a picture with your phone and send it out. And the third group of people, this one I'm passionate about because I'm living this. We are called to invite those who seem too far gone. Jesus is the light for all people, both the Jew and the Gentile. The Gentiles being the ones who weren't part of this one group. Jesus came for them too. Jesus came, the Messiah came for the ones we say are too far gone. The ones who seem too broken, the ones whose addictions have gotten too bad, the, the ones whose life seems in shambles, the one who's angry about Jesus, the one who hates the church, the, the one who, who resents the church. I don't, those ones, Jesus is for them too. And remember that little exercise we did? Look up, look down, look to the side. The creator God is not scared 
of somebody's problems with him, someone's addiction, someone's struggles. He's bigger than that. We're called to invite them into. Here, hear my heart on this, because I don't want to sound like, we, let's stop counting people out for God. Let's stop looking at people and saying to them, for God, that just, that's too far. We should be pursuing them as much as we can. Amen? Amen. So I, I created a fun little system for us because I know you guys are hungry, you gotta get to lunch. So I came up with an easy three-step system that we can practice for the next couple weeks. And the tradition that we're bringing in is teaching and practicing invitations to Christmas Eve and invitations to church. We have flyers out there, that'll do, you can take those if you want as well. And I, I say this tradition because I'm practicing this with my kids, trying to teach them the importance of this message and sharing this message and doing this. So I came up with a three-step system really quick. Number one, very complicated first step, invite. Invite. Have a conversation, send it out, give them a card. Invite. And that's where we often we stop. I want to challenge us to go a little further. Invite. Number two, pray. Pray. This urgency I talked of of reaching people and sharing this message of the Messiah found in Isaiah 42. We need to approach it with an urgency of getting on our hands and knees every day and going before God and interceding for them and praying for them and lifting them up. Don't just invite. Invite and then pray. Pray for them. Pray for them. Man, I could tell you a really cool story. Uh, you got time. I, I, a really cool story. My daughter, we're praying. We do these prayer things every night. And she's praying the other night. And, and she just all of a sudden, I say, what do you want to pray for? What do you want to pray for? She says, Daddy, I want to pray. And she says this name of this kid who she knows isn't coming to a church. Now, I, uh, the kid's probably going to another church. I'm not saying. Just in her little mind, her five-year-old mind, this is the only church in town. And she said, I want to pray for them. I said, why, sweetie? Because I love it. I want them to have fun too. I mean, that's the kind of mindset of just this prayerful mindset of thinking through people. When God puts someone on our heart, when the Holy Spirit puts something on our heart, not just inviting, but going the extra step and praying for. Pray for them. Pray that God would move in them. Nudge them. And the last one is very important. Follow up. Follow up. I know it sounds simple, but I hate to break it to you. There's a lot of people like me in the world who have very good intentions when they say yes at the first time. But a week goes by and I haven't thought about it since. It's truth. Follow up with them. Hey, I, yeah, you want to go? Do you want to come with me? What service are you going to? It's important, guys. It's important. This is, this is why we exist. To worship God and to share the good news. Amen? So we're gonna close service a little different today. I want us all to think about maybe one person who we could be doing this for this week. Think about them, think about them right now. Maybe they're close, maybe they're far, maybe they're too far gone. And we're gonna pray for them right now. Think about who that person is. I begin to pray, you just pray for them as well. And then follow the system through the week. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for what you're doing in us and teaching us, God. Pray that you would just nudge us this week to have those conversations and give us courage and give us strength and 
boldness. Father, we lift up the people in our life who we want to come and we want to encounter you because we know how much you've done for us and what you've done in our life. And we just want that for them. And we pray for a stirring in their heart, God. We pray, we pray for just a stirring in their life that maybe, maybe they will. And for you to move as only you can, God. We love you and praise your holy name. Amen.